So welcome to another episode of the Queerly Black Show. We have a special, special guest today, Victoria Kirby York. This is hey, a hey. HU family member. You know. This is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is family. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you. I think that uh, your story is incredible. We're going to get into it. Um, and, and, and you know, we're going to just jump right in. You know, I don't think we Let's really need it. to waste too much time. Um, <laughs> Let's go ahead and give, give the people a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, you know, what you represent. Let us know. Cool. Um, my name is Victoria Kirby York, as mentioned, and I serve as the Deputy Executive Director of the National Black Justice Coalition. Uh, we're the nation's premier uh, federal public policy organization focused on the protections of Black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, yes, intersex, asexual, everybody. <laughs> All the letters. Loving people. Um, and, you know, we're really serious about um, having members of our community own our power as individuals and collectively, and um, to also be fair to advocates, you know, when we're meeting with folks at the White House and Congress, um, working within the, the various agencies of the executive branch, supporting state and local organizations that are doing advocacy at the state and local level. Um, and I really kind of got started, oh, before I forget, I use VKY, she and they, it's pronouns, um, VKY, my initials. Um, this is a whole different story for where that came from, but. Uh. Love it. I love it. <laughs> claim your power, girl, claim your power. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, I've really had three, what feels like three different kinds of careers already. Right. For, I start, started doing advocacy work when I was 12 years old. My first campaign was focused on um, preventing folks from being able to smoke indoors uh, because I didn't want that secondhand smoke. I was terrified of cancer. Uh, and I worked with the organization Students Working Against Tobacco. Some of you might remember uh, those uh, truth commercials that were really like, yeah, they tried to like mm -hmm. get you by laughing mm -hmm. <laughs> they, or some other kind of emotion. And um, that was really my first experience with issue advocacy. I worked on since then a number of other um, issue advocacy campaigns, political campaigns, um, including President Obama's uh, reelection campaign, um, Manage the Field program. My uh, president. Yeah. <laughs> <Forever> <laughs> right. president. I have a president, I have a first lady, all of that. Um, <laughs> I have. Uh, pictures of him on my wall uh, from working with him. We had lunch together uh, when I was a fellow before I joined the campaign staff. Um, and so, yeah, I'm definitely Obama all day. I got this little blanket right here that my grandmother gave me. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, she, so, she was so proud. She was like, I'm gonna give my baby work for Obama. Let me get Every, every Black person <laughs> from now on, it, their kids, grandkids will have something with them on it. That's right. It's going to be like JFK and MLK. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know it. It's going to be, everybody got something. Listen, now, this was the first, okay? The rest of these is cool, but this was the first one. So you, you've been in politics for a long time. That's actually how I kind of knew who you were, because you were, you were really popular on campus for like politics and that whole thing. Like what made you get into that? Well, what actually started it, I don't normally count this first thing that really piqued my um issue my my like excitement about politics because you know it was short-lived but when I was 10 years old 
the Florida legislature was trying to move the driving age from 16 to 18. And I was like, oh, hell no. I'm, I'm waiting until I turn Let me 16 get mine to terms. get that learning yes. permit. I'm like, y'all can't do this. So me and <laughs> my mom worked for a lawyer. And so he would invite us out to his Rotary Club stuff. And we were always like the one black family. <laughs> they are, right? Um, and so the state uh, senator in our area in Brandon, Florida would come to these you know, cookouts and he started talking about this legislation. And so me and my mom's coworker's daughter was like, you heard about this driver's license thing? We need to go over there and talk to him. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we talked to him and we said, you know, we'll get petitions. We'll do whatever we need to do to stop this. Thankfully that bill died and it didn't go anywhere, but that was my first like, aha, that's how change gets made. That's you know, <laughs> we felt like whether we have proof or not that our conversation stopped that bad bill. Yeah. And that just planted a seed um, in me uh, early on. Yeah. And I've been, you know, organizing ever since, including on Howard's campus. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people were surprised when I won um, student trustee um, at the university because I didn't spend a whole lot of money, but I had been engaged in trying to solve problems through the policies at the university from the moment I stepped foot on campus. And so people knew that I was someone who got stuff done, whether I was the most like stereotypically popular person or- <laughs> You had the feet on the ground. Whatever. You was doing the work. Yeah. You was doing that stuff that mattered. That. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. So when did the cross-section of, well, I guess to, to even go back a little bit. So, because now you're, you know, there's like this professional personal thing that kind of, it, it's, it's been the thread because you wanted to be a driver. You're like, don't do this. And now, you know, obviously it's, it's a different kind of advocacy with your sexuality, but it's still politics, but just to even go back a little bit in your journey like, when did you know you were different? Like you're in terms of your sexuality. Mm -hmm. Cause I think, and I say, I say, I say, I call it that. And I define it that way because I think that when you're young or whenever you don't know what it is, you just know yeah. you're different. You're like, I don't mm -hmm. know why they like that. <laughs> and I don't, but I don't know what that means. But I think, you know, obviously adults put labels on it, but as yeah. a kid, you don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. So when when did you when did you discover like oh, I think I'm a little different? So I didn't realize that it was different because um, because to your point, like I didn't know the rules about gender and relationships yet. That like it was only supposed to be man woman right right in that way. I had this crush on my like preschool teacher. I was like, four. oh, you was young, yeah. Yeah, I'm the age my daughter is, which makes me wow. sometimes I just be like, what's going on in your mind? Because I know what was going on in my mind. When I was four, I just don't know, right? Yeah. But I'm not ready to have those conversations with my kids. But not that four. I know. <laughs> I used to, you know, I when I one of the things that drove me. And that's why sometimes I'm like, you know, I like to address more feminine, but at times I'm like, I tell people sometimes I think and talk like a, like a dude, but I got the lipstick on and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. because I was just like, they always stereotypically will say guys will push for success to impress a girl, but you know, girls don't always, you know, those kind of like male, yeah. female binaries don't do that. But I was like determined to learn how to read and write. Cause I was like, I'm gonna write my teacher, Miss Summers. I still remember her name. 
I was like, I'm going to write her a letter. I'm going to tell her I love her. Oh, this at four. At four, yeah. Four years so, old. Roses are red, violets are blue. Yes. I no, like for you. Real. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like that, like something like roses. So, Because that was really like the first yeah. poem you kind of learned. Yep. And um, she ended up going from the private preschool I was at wow. um, and going to the public <laughs> elementary school. So I indeed had learned how to uh, write. And that was my first thing that I wrote and gave to someone else. And what I said, because of that point around difference was, I love you like a mommy, right? But it wasn't love like a mommy. I just didn't know yeah. how else to describe it. And clearly, like, I'm four. She's a grown woman. Like, right. that was its own thing, right? But, but that's the only um, box that it fits in at that time, because it's like, she's older yeah. and she's a woman. Like mm -hmm. mom, aunt, grandma, <laughs> that's it. Like, that's you know right. What I mean? <laughs> that's so that hilarious. was my, yeah, right? Like, that was my kind of reasoning about it. Um, but, you know, eventually I did date um, guys, as a lot of us do. And um, as I started dating more guys, as I got older, I realized that the way I was describing my, like, feelings for the guys I dated it did not sound anything like how my like girlfriends were describing their attraction they'd be like girl uh -huh. did you see his abs oh I just want to touch and lick that thing right? and, and you over like, there like he's a, he's, a, he's a nice guy he's a nice gentleman <laughs> I really like our conversation right we have real meaningful, thoughtful dialogue. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I like their personality. And that was like where mm -hmm. it stopped. Yeah. And then when I like first started talking to the first girl I had a crush on, I was like, oh, shit. It was like, girl. I was like, damn, this is like that. It, you know, this yeah. is like how my friends talk about their guys. Yeah. And then this guy, I thought I had this crush on for like five years. Like I, like I thought it was like a real like for now I know I just, I really was into his personality. It was like, if I'm a dated dude, like this would be the guy. Mm -hmm. um, we had a moment where like, we almost like did something in a, you know, in the car. And like the moment we started trying to make out, I was just disgusted. Like, oh. ew, he's got this hair here. And like, oh, ew. RIP like, to that man. <laughs> yeah. I know. How crazy is that? That like you from a distance, like you were like, okay. Like this is this could work, but then when like the the intimacy is like nah, mm -hmm. like you just the homie, I ain't gonna be able to do it. <laughs> I was, you know, I realized wow. that it takes more, right? Yeah. Like there's there's the personality, there's the physical attraction, the sexual attraction, like all these different kinds of attractions, and I was like, damn, like these fellas they're only checking off one of these boxes, and I talk to these girls, it's like, whew. All the girl. you know. <laughs> Woo! I'm about to call my homegirl. Girl, let me tell you. But then, how what like so? How old were you at this time? I was 16. Okay. And um, I took the you know the first girl I started kind of talking to because that kind of unfolded. My best friend was like, "Girl, he got a little crush on you," and I was like, "What? Bro? Likes me? Like older than me?" So I was like, "What? I got a thing for Rosie." She was like, "What? I told Rosie." straight 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 like not to even bark up that tree I said no girl give her my number yeah. and we ended up going <laughs> home. 
He was like stone cold butch. Like oh. showed up to homecoming, three five piece suit on with a oh, pink no. okay. hat kind of look, all white. Like wasn't playing. Wow. So it was like there was no like playing off that like we were just go, you know going to homecoming. Y'all was together, like friends. Like it was clear. Y'all was together. We was together. And I, I didn't realize oh. how like out I was making myself at the time. Like I didn't really process or think about it. I was just yeah. like, we like each other. We going to the dance together. Mm-hmm. So you did know? you? So at that time, so you you're dating guys up to pretty much this point. For as far as like your family and then of course your friends like how was that was it just like are we just here and then like people are like okay so is this what we is this or did you have to come out (laughs) so I came out to my mom like before I went to homecoming because I didn't want her to be surprised by the pictures but she didn't take me seriously Mm -hmm. she thought like oh it's just a phase I had a little girl crush once upon Mm -hmm. a time you know you'll grow up You know, like she wasn't really taking it serious. And then like afterwards, after all that attention, after homecoming, everybody was like, did you know? I ended up doing my one final like guy that I dated, right? This is the last guy that I like, I've, you know, dated since then. And we dated for like a month. And so I think my mom was like, oh, see, I knew it was a phase. Then I started dating another girl. She was my high school sweetheart. We dated for like two and a half years, you know, mm. before we went off to college and um, ended up breaking up my, my first semester um, in college. That whole like this long distance yep. thing didn't work out. But my mom acted like she was just so shocked. Like once I got into college and I brought my, my girlfriend, now my wife home, that like first um, freshman year at Howard, she like acted like she was just so shocked I'm like we had this conversation but it's because I think she really like talked herself into believing that like it was here and then gone yeah and me and my high school sweetheart did weren't as open as me and the first person I dated because her mom didn't didn't know at all and she didn't want her mom to know like her mom like she didn't think was gonna be cool with it um and so even though at school I was already out when we were around our parents and family, we tried to do the whole, you know, that's my best friend kind of thing, um, you know, to protect her situation at home. Yeah, for sure. So for, so So my friends were cool because I went to an arts high school. Oh, so yeah, everybody was So, you know, I realized that Howard, how much of a privilege that was like, I didn't realize how like unintentionally blessed I was in that way. Mm -hmm. Like I came out in an environment where there were other black queer and trans Mm non-binary folks. You know, I went to a church, missionary Baptist church, where there was never a sermon for or against homosexuality. Like I'd never, I had no reason to know that it was a bad thing to some people until I went to Howard and learned uh, when I joined the student group there, it was called Lagosa back then, now it's called Cascade, that like, you know, there are people who had been kicked out of their homes when they were 13, had been living on the street since then, that there were, um, I had a friend who was first generation Nigerian, her, her dad, um, who made a lot of money, like pulled all his financial funding for her tuition when he found out she was gay. And she ended up not being able to finish. Um, 
you know, most of my men, like big sisters um, in Blagosa Cascade never graduated from Howard because they were trying to get their way through college on their own. And it just became too hard, especially with all the burdens, burdens that HBCUs can sometimes place on people administratively because of the lack of funding comparatively to white schools. And so, and so um, yeah, that, and that was hard. You know, I didn't realize, you know, I was always like, how come this person ain't at the meeting? How come, I know you family, why you mm-hmm. ain't at the meeting? You know what I'm like, saying? Like I had some judgment. I had you know, to pay, for honest, your tuition, I got to, pay to go to school. Yeah, and me and my yes, wife used to get into it because she was like, my parents pay for my school. You know, I was on the other way I was privileged. Was I had a full ride. My mm-hmm. mom told me early on, if I was going to college, I need to figure it out on my own because she ain't had no coins. Mm-hmm. So I did everything I could to make sure that I didn't need to depend on her for anything. And, and what I thought was like a hardship that I didn't have my parents in that way was also a blessing on the other side of it because there was, there was nothing that my parents could dangle you know yeah and there was nothing stopping you from being yourself and like feeling like you had to you know hide a part of you because you're being funded by your parents is unfortunate and I think um my my Howard experience is a little different we I I wasn't at necessarily like in like LGBT groups and honestly it's because I didn't really know that was a thing like I Mm -hmm. for me it was just like you very similarly to to me and uh Rochelle uh, got together super early we got together freshman year we were together the whole time so it was like support group you just my girlfriend we just gonna go to class That's and right. go do other things <laughs> no but as I got older and you start experiencing different things and you start seeing stuff and like reading things and like it's like wait a minute like what in the world because I don't like boys this is for mm-hmm. real you know mm-hmm. and that whole journey but like talk about your experience with um Cascade now I know it as Cascade too um yeah your experience and actually I think I was at Howard when it changed when the name changed um yeah probably so yeah your so. experience with like learning that and then your personal experience at Howard and like you know did you feel like there were limitations because you know Howard is is a is a very diverse in terms of black culture black culture across mm-hmm. the full diaspora your experience with that and then learning probably culturally you learned a lot because people from different cultures can't express themselves in certain ways and then now of course as you get older cuz I me like you like you 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 married <laughs> to who and and you're trying to like understand like that experience of like I can't express myself mm-hmm. because of this, these other things. Like, how was yeah. that for you? Like learning that and then now continue in your continuous work and advocacy, like what are you continuing to see with that? Yeah, I mean, sadly, it's the number of students having to manage all of that has decreased, but it still exists in way too many institutions, including Howard at some level, right? Um, and I try not to forget the lessons that I learned from my peers at Howard when I do advocacy. So for instance, one thing, um, I've been pushing, especially right now in the aftermath of George Floyd's, um, murder last year, there were a number of, sorry, um, there were a number of, um, funders 
and people, large donors who are giving money out to different HBCUs and scholarship programs. And there are people still continuing to, to do that. And one of the things that anytime I have an opportunity to try to plant it in somebody ear, somebody's ear, I've been trying to say, you know, we need scholarship funds to help pay off the back balances of these, you know, people who never graduated, yeah. who can't get access to their transcripts, can't get access to any of the other university, like resources that they would need to be able to like restart their education. Um, because they have back balances due that they'll probably never be able to pay off. Yeah, from like prior semesters and just, Yeah, and we're know, created because their parents cut them off. Yep. Right. So what you you know, you're however old, you got thirty thousand dollars worth of debt, you're still trying to pay off from the from you mm -hmm. know the parts that you do have, right? Yep. And no degree to show for it. Yep. And then on top of it, you can't go then get the degree somewhere else that might be cheaper, more affordable mm -hmm. because you can't carry your credits over because you can't get access to your transcript. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been trying to like, you know, illuminate some of those challenges. Um, also trying to talk um, regarding shelters because there were a number of Howard students that lived in homeless shelters because they were like, I can't pay for housing and tuition. So I'm going to do tuition and go stay in this housing shelter. But some of these shelters require a parent signature. If your parent kicked you yeah. out, they're not going to sign nothing for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, those kinds of things I try to lift up um, as often as I can, like the impact of the family rejection, because too often we hear the, um, the, the fact that, you know, people kick their kids out because of religious beliefs, whatever. But then the conversation stops and we don't talk about how that impacts the rest of that person, that kid's life. Yeah. Right. How it impacts their ability to get employed. Because if you don't have the confidence of familial support, yep. you feel less confident when you go in to put in that application. So you show up differently than you do when you're like, I'm bad because my parents have always told me I'm the bomb.com. Right. Like That's I grew so up with my mom telling me every day yeah. you can do and be whoever you want to be. So regardless of what kind of has happened in the interim, that was like the I, I came into going into my professional career feeling that kind of certainty. Now, you know, some 10 years later, me and my mom had some blows around the whole <laughs> when I wanted her to show up to my wedding. She was like, nah. Right. So we, we have concern, you know, we had challenges there, but by then I'm, I was already an established professional, right? Yeah. Like I didn't need my mom to tell me I could be anything anymore. Like yeah. I had that for myself, but people who didn't get that, the foundation, like, the foundation yeah, of support. it, so many of them are mm -hmm. still struggling yeah. with being able to pay, you know, their, their rent with being able to maintain a job, mental health. I mean, the trauma from that both the spiritual trauma, if it also came from the church, and also the trauma of your family telling you you're not good enough, like who you are is not good enough, no matter how wonderful of a human you are. Yeah. And so like, that stuff doesn't go away. And when you no. look at suicide numbers, when you look at our, our homelessness numbers, when you look at our poverty numbers, it all starts from that moment that that kid leaves, the, leaves their home. All right. So switching, switching gears just a little bit on to um, labels. 
Yes. Because one thing I love is on your Instagram, it's like non-binary femme. And that's mm-hmm. loaded, right? Because then mm-hmm. right next to it, it's she, they. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear like a lot of uh, a, a different conversations around like, you know, labels and oh, you're making it so difficult and all of that. Um, talk to me about your experience with like defining that, because I think I'm sure that's something that probably has evolved over time. But what was your journey to like defining yourself that way? And then if you want to throw in the story about your initials and the, the redefining of your name, you could talk about that, too. Sure. So um, gender is complicated, right? Yes, indeed. And so is sex, right? The truth of the matter is like we all grew up with this notion that it's male, female, man, woman, right? And the reality biologically is that people who are born intersex have been born since creation. People have been born with mixed genitalia, mixed chromosomes, mixed hormones, all of those things. And so on the sex side of it, that binary has always been false. And when you think about gender, it's a social construct just like race is right? Like if I ask you your race, you probably would say black, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. But the reality is looking at your skin complexion, somebody right? was uh, the other hue. <laughs> yeah. Right. Genealogy. 100%. Is like side hustle, yep. right? Like that's where I don't get paid for. It. It's like my hobby. There we go. My uh, hobby is what I do late at night when I can't go to sleep. And so it's like, yeah, you're black. When I see you, when I look at you, you're black, right? But what I know is that within you contains multitudes. That somewhere in your DNA is probably, I mean, they say on average, most Black Americans who are descendants of folks who are enslaved have about 20% European DNA. That's actually true for me. And and it is statistically true for most of us, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So... If you were to really answer that question ethnically, right, you know, if you knew the data or I Mm -hmm. I can use myself, I would say I'm, you know, 79% descendant from folks in Africa, X percent, you know, 18% descended from folks, you know, out of the European continent, 1% Mm -hmm. somebody in Southeast Asia, don't know if that was a indigenous person who's like, I'm not sure about that. I don't know where that came from. Don't know where Indonesia came from. I'm like, I don't know what that's about. But, you know, the reality is we we contain multitudes and race was made up, right? Like when we talk about critical race theory, that's really what it it is. It's saying there is a recognition that ethnicity is complicated. And there was a political reason that made defining race based off the color of your skin or the perceived color of your skin um, uh, beneficial for those people in power, right? White folks. Yep. Same thing is true for gender, right? And the way sex interplays. Gender is based off of stereotypes that change over time, right? So if you go back a few hundred years, the men in Africa was wearing like, you know, even now, Mm-hmm. stuff that to me look like a skirt right yep. or a dress yep. but yep. then people want to talk about young thug or one of those rappers mm-hmm. and they're like oh you're wearing a dress yeah, yeah oh, but if you give it and i'm that's like so true because you go you back to that in africa the men yeah. it's probably more comfortable for a dude to wear a dress real top dick yeah. just sling 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 you know, you know? what i mean well, right. like the Irish Day, I remember growing up, like you go to the the Irish Day Parade and uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, 
you know, um, and they have kilts on. I mean, yeah, literally, right. they have everyone has on a skirt. Yeah. Literally, you know, so it's just like, I don't know when, or, you know, to your point about, you know, even African culture, you, when you look at pictures and you look back, the clothes were extremely loose. I mean, the, the, the pants could look like a skirt or if it was wrapped some type of way, like, so, you, you know, you're, and I, I talk about this all the time. Like when I hear, especially when I hear people talk about kids and they're mm-hmm. like, you're acting like a girl or you're acting like a boy. And I'm like, according to who? Yeah. What does you know, that mean? Like, what does that mean? You know, my small story, my grandmother, she has uh, she's a nanny and um, um, one of the little kids uh, is a boy and he has all sisters, you know, it has nothing to do with how he's going to behave has nothing to do with his, he doesn't, he doesn't know his sisters Mm -hmm. get dressed up. Their mom gives them attention. He wants to dress up, get attention from his mom. That's all Mm -hmm. he sees. I said, you know, then he'll go to school, of course, and he'll play with boys and he'll, he may be, the boys may say, oh, you know, girls play with those or he may Mm -hmm. learn that stuff. He may learn it later, but in his Mm -hmm. house, this is it. You know, yeah, and unless his right. dad is someone who's like watching sports and jerseys and like, you got to be a man, son. He doesn't know. He's just like, I want attention from my mom. What do I got to do? Put on a dress? That's okay, right. put on a dress. <laughs> you know, so I, it always gets me when I hear that because, you know, they don't know. You know, it is, it's all made up. Like, I love that um, uh, Lego is like taking away like the gender norms for kids and like, you know, yeah. all these places are getting on board because girls like blocks. That's you know, right. My daughter loves you, to build stuff and tear it apart. Girls like play like to play video games. Why is that in the boy section? Like, you know, so now That's I have right. to, you know, if I, you know, you you have to go tell your daughter, oh no, baby. The boys play with those and the, you know, mm-hmm. this stuff is all made up. So I think that's really, you know, that's good. So you keep keep going with your, your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for me, when I chose, so the, the the thing about this younger generation, Gen Z, they've got I saw a report someplace where they said there's a hundred non-binary identities and I was like what where did that because when I was coming up in the game right the idea was that feminine like being a woman was all expansive so you could be butch and be a woman you can be femme and be a woman you can be androgynous and be a woman right like and so that's where some of the tension lies with some of the lesbians from back in the day because they're like why do you feel like you need to become identify as transgender you know, womanhood encompasses all of that. Like that's the way they, some of them were conditioned to think. Mm-hmm. Whereas today people are like, gender is a social construct. I identify more with the stereotypes assigned with masculinity or maleness. And that's how I identify. Now for me, because I was socialized and continue to be socialized as a woman, my gender presentation is generally more, more feminine, not high femme but you know generally more feminine mm-hmm. I'll throw on some makeup some earrings that kind of stuff I wear a dress and that kind lip of gloss yeah throw some lip gloss on there you know yes um so you know I because of some of the experiences I've had because of others perception of my gender I can't and refuse to um disassociate myself from it and I don't have any issue with folks who can I just know for myself, I can't, but when I think about the way I think about gender, I don't really give two shits about the stereotypes for people who identify as more manly or more, you know, womanly, you know, I I generally, 
you know, I, I went back and forth from saying that I'm agender, like all. Right. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's all made up, just like all, like period. Yep. But I discovered from one of those Gen Z sites, the term Demi woman. And, mm-hmm. and, and what it is, is um, that you identify with womanhood or femininity and something else, right? Um, and that's something else for me is that agender like or androgynous um, non-binary identity. And so for me, it's a, not saying non-binary femme as a way to acknowledge that the way that I think, the way that I process the world, the way that um, gender impacts me is genderless, right? Like I don't think about those things outside Mm -hmm. of how it impacts my life because of somebody else thinking about like forming a reaction to me, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's a way to to honor like my body and my experiences, um, you know, because of my womanhood. No, totally. That's why I like it. Yeah, it's interesting because like I don't like I obviously present more masculine and it's mm-hmm. interesting because a lot of times I go, I get referred to as a guy all the time. It, and mm-hmm. despite the fact that I have the biggest boobs ever, it <laughs> does not matter. Like it just doesn't even matter. But uh, I remember I was in a store one day. I tell the story all the time. I, and my sister, I had a, I, I had, I was on a call. So I came in the store a little bit later and my sister and Rochelle were in the store and I, I snuck up behind them and I scared them. But there was another lady in the aisle with them. And so I scared him and a lady got scared. She's like, oh, that man scared me. My sister was like, that's a girl. And she's like defending me to this lady. And I'm like, chill, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. but she's like, no, she needs to get it right. And I'm like, but it's okay. Like it happens. And so to your point about like reactions and like things mm-hmm. that like, because it happens so often for me, I don't even, and sometimes I always say like, people don't load the profile. Like they don't actually even yeah. look at you long enough mm-hmm. to see what's in front of them they just see a hat or a sweatshirt or like big feet and they're like it's got to be a guy but Mm -hmm. then they then like especially at chipotle it happens all the time at chipotle they're like how you doing sir let me oh my bad my bad you know and i'm like it's all good man just get my burrito let's roll like you know so but it's it's really interesting because it happens so often and when you're you know of the community and you understand that there are certain things that people do you know, explaining it is, is, and I'm, I'm grateful. I love my sisters mm-hmm. and I'm super, you know, happy, but she was like, that's a girl. And she was ready to like knock the lady out of the store. And I'm like, it's all good. We're good. We're good. She, she didn't know it's okay. So Miranda's kind of more like, uh, your sister, like she's my, you know, you know, Miranda, but to, yeah. to listen to my, you know, my wife is, is also, you know, presents more masculine. Um, but it's like hardcore woman. Like yeah. she's like, I'll bump that non-binary she's like I identify as a woman I'm a proud woman 100% you know like I don't want to hear nothing else use my right pronouns she her you know what I mean I love it but I, I love it to your and tummy people to- assume that she's like oh well you know she got to be the man you got to be the girl and I'm like look what you don't know is my wife is the one that cooks cleans takes care of the house pays the bills takes care yes, of the kid. like <laughs> and I'm the one that's like you know, the, you know, stereotypical way that breadwinner, you know, kind of thing that people tend to associate with men or like, you know, I don't like my wife taking out the trash. People are like, that's some like random would assume the other way around. You know, my wife is big into opening yep. doors. And she's mm-hmm. like, why well, I gotta be chivalrous? We both women. We like, both- what you talking about, right? Yep. And it's because like, she is very like 
secure in her own version of femininity. Yep, right? yep. Yeah, it's and, But it's why that whole pronoun conversation is important, right? Like people talk about it as if it's only for transgender and gender, like gender non-binary um, identifying folks. And I'm like, my sister is a cisgender heterosexual woman, you know, loves her some men, right? Has slightly deeper voice than me. And she wake up real early in the morning and somebody, you know, she answering the phone at the call center or something. <laughs> they might be like, sir, they may be like, you is, know? Is it Tyrone or Taisha? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she has to like, be like, oh no, yeah, right? Yeah. Or like you get somebody on the phone who's Jamie. And, and it's like, know. is yeah. it a guy or girl? Like what's going on? It's like this whole pronoun conversation isn't just for our community. It's for everybody. And it's no different than when you see a baby and, you, and people are trying to figure out the boy or girl, what they're really asking is what pronoun should I use when I talk about your kid? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, no, I love it. I, and just be, you know, respectful of time. Um, I want to talk about this, this, this last thing about exactly what you were just talking about with relationships and having to have certain conversations when you're in a same-sex relationship versus when you're a heterosexual relationship but the thing that I've been stressing to people is I'm like heterosexual relationships need to have this conversation too about what gen like what your role is in this relationship what my role is in in this relationship because half the problem is assumptions but when you're in a same-sex relationship there are no assumptions we have to talk about this Who's That's taking right. out the trash? That's right. <laughs> Who's cooking this dinner? Who's washing these clothes? Who's picking up these kids? You That's have right. to talk about it. But in heterosexual relationships, there's this assumption. You're the woman. You cook. You clean. And there's a whole, I have a whole other conversation about why that's not true anymore because everybody's mm-hmm. working now. Nobody that's is right. sitting at home all day, can mm-hmm. cook and clean and, and tear, you know what I mean? And be laying in the that's bed ready right. at night. What? That's you got right. to work. That's Ain't nobody right. got time for that. That's a whole nother conversation. But no, but it's when true. You're in, yeah, when you're in a same-sex relationship, there's so many things that you have to talk about. Like even, you know, obviously intimacy is, you mm-hmm. have to talk about that. Like, what do you like I know you don't like men but like do you like you know penetration and this and like all these other dudes would be getting their women orgasms a lot more if they were having these conversations right you look at the statistics I'd be like damn I talked to some of my straight friends I'd be like you never had an orgasm like is that true I'm like is that for real that's the wildest and I'm like what what's the point of having sex what's the I'm just like I don't get it I don't (laughs) understand waste of time exercise I guess cardio I don't know I ain't in it for that, but <laughs> but, you're, but you're right. If they had yeah. some of these conversations, it would be, be good totally for them different. too. Yeah, right. Yep. Like when I when I you know when we're out, I'm out um, doing the yard or whatever. You know, a, a older husband and wife couple we walking by, and I've had two different reactions. Right. Sometimes the the woman will be like, "See, I can do the yard too," and the husband's like, "Nah, baby, right?" Because like he feels like I'm his man. manhood is tied it. to. Mm-hmm. I can't have my woman out here pushing grass. They're going to be thinking cutting like grass. Mother, you know? <laughs> what if he got, what if you have allergies? That's right. Now you're going to be sick because you trying to defeat your manhood. <laughs> and then there's other guys who'll go, who'll see me doing it and they'll be like, see, honey, you can you cut can do the it. grass too. And so I'm like, yes, yeah, have yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Like, some women can't cook, right? Like me. If I was, if I had been married to a man, he would have had to be somebody that could cook because we'd, we'd be like food poisoned. Like we'd be because I, that is not my ministry, right? We'd be yeah. spending all our money on to go. 
Yeah. <laughs> Uber Eats, Autumn Uber Feeds. Eats. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, you know, there's a lot they can learn from us. Yeah. Um, man, that's this is this is this is good. This is good. <laughs> the the last the last question I have for you. Um, you have obviously been uh married for a long time in a relationship for mm-hmm. a long-term relationship. Um, what advice do you have for people who are trying to get there? Because mm-hmm. you know. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about what it means at certain points in relationships. Once, you know, you've gotten out of college, if you're a sweetheart and, you know, mm-hmm. life is all controlled and it's like, you go to class, you got your little hundred, $200 and you can <laughs> do the little cute stuff. And then like life starts happening and you're a different person yeah. and you're, you know, all of these other things are happening. Um, what's some advice, you know, that you have for people who are trying to get to the place of, what have you guys been together with, 18, 15 years? They're trying to get there. What's some advice you got? So, you know, we're not perfect on either of these, but we're constantly, you know, we're constantly trying. And it's like, you know, church I used to grow up in, the old folks who would reach like that 50th anniversary mark or more, you'd ask them, what's the secret? And they'd be like, work marriage takes work and when I was a kid I was like what does that mean and now I understand right like there is no autopilot in a successful marriage right you have to be constantly communicating constantly like being willing to be vulnerable with each other constantly like making sure that you're each choosing each other above all else every day and that gets hard especially when you become an adult Cause you got the job, you got like friends you might want to hang out with. You got like all hobbies you want to have. There's like all these things. Then when you have a kid or kids, it's like, and then you got to manage their stuff. But it's like, you have to continue to choose each other and put each other first. And that means sometimes having uncomfortable conversations. It means sometimes being like, babe, what you just did really hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I'm still going about my day-to-day routine, but like, I'm really bitter right now. Like, you know, we, we got to talk through this. Right. Um, and you know, you know, my wife, she is like, not careful with words and that's not her, you know, that she ain't never been like that her whole life. Whereas for me, I overthink words. Right. And so (laughs) understand becomes a conflict in a different way. Yep. right because she'll say something that I know she don't really mean but it's still cut right or I'll yeah. not say something that she needs to know in order to make other decisions because I'm like I don't want to hurt your feelings but she's like no nah, I just really need to know the answer <laughs> so I can like yep. finish the thing yep. you know like bump all of that mm-hmm. and so you have to keep that clear and then the second the, the second thing that I've just kind of gotten to an aha on It might be true in um, opposite sex relationships too. I don't know. But um, one thing that me and some of my, 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 you know, my other like mid 30 friends have been talking about, um, whether married or single, um, have been uh, trauma Mm -hmm. and unpacking our traumas together, our individual traumas from like childhood, adolescence, et cetera. And then traumas that you create with each other, just being humans, mm-hmm. creating mess with each mm-hmm. other. You know? <laughs> Learning, growing and developing and becoming who you're going to be and yeah, mm-hmm. making mistakes. Yeah. Bull- yeah. Bulldozing over some people sometimes to get there, not on purpose, but it happens. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's good. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, you know, b- because we have, we come from multiple marginalized identities, right? Like we're black, we're women. And then add on top of that, you know, sexual orientation. And then mm-hmm. on, add on top of that, in my case, invisible disabilities that are easy to forget, you know, because yeah. I look, you know, like I, like I'm good and, and well-functioning most of the time. Um, and it's a recipe of a whole bunch of microaggressions that if you're not openly communicating and being vulnerable with each other, you'll just continue to activate each other in ways that end up being the, the, the cause of failure yeah. for your relationship. Yeah. And I didn't um, know how to name that until, you know, the last couple of years. I think the pandemic helped because it's like, so much of when you're so when you're just thinking. at home by your, with each other so and much like thinking nobody and else. talking. Yeah, all that stuff comes up and you yeah. gotta deal with it. You yeah. know, it's like either mm-hmm. we gotta deal with it or we gotta do something different. Yeah, but I, I said I've 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 been <laughs> saying like people who made it through that, if you made it through that, you better. Yeah, you're better. If you're not, didn't. if you didn't get if you're not divorced, if you're not, you know, if you're if you still with your person. You, you, you came out, you stronger because the mm-hmm. pandemic was quite frankly, five years. That was five mm-hmm. years. That one year was five years. That, that one and a half years was like eight years. Like that was a long <laughs> time. Those days were long, you know? And yeah. so it just, if you made it through that, you definitely talked. There's no way you sat in this house for 700 or whatever days it was mm-hmm. and didn't talk and didn't have conversations. You might've, but a lot of those pe- people are not together anymore. Yep. So awesome. that's, the, that's the last thing yeah no thank you so much for your time I, I really appreciate this conversation I think it's um very important um uh, for for people to have that information and um tell the people where, where they can find you yes you can find me personally at v kirby york on twitter instagram facebook and uh, you can learn more about mbjc at mbjc.org or on social medias mbjc on the move awesome well thank you Everybody, this is another episode of the Queerly Black Show. We'll catch you next time.